0: The Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art. I like to paint monsters. And you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Art.
1: What's up, Mike? We hey, recording. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. It's
0: hot. I was about to take a drink of water like right at the beginning while we're starting <laughs> as if I know that I shouldn't do that. Yeah. It is hot. It's hot here too. I was just
1: hiking actually out in the desert. What's the temperature out out there?
0: It it I don't know today. Yesterday it was 105. Mm. So, and like 5% humidity is just brutal dry. Mm. So I went out early hiked and uh, came back in and then was working on Paul Gerard's Kickstarter, which will be over by the time this airs, but nevertheless, that was what I was doing, was working on Mm. Paul's Kickstarter, which hopefully by the time this airs, yay, it succeeded. It succeeded. It succeeded. (laughs) It succeeded. (laughs) It succeeded. succeeded. So anyway, yeah, that's what I'm up to. What
1: about you? Uh, I'm just, you know, catching up on the paintings for that Switzerland show. I'm almost done. Trying to get this tutorial video for the Patreon done. Uh, we found Lisa found a baby bird on the way home, but walking with the grandkids the other day. So then I stayed up all night feeding this bird. But ah. yeah, that was crazy, weird little thing. Um, and then, but she took it back the next day with one of the grandkids who was the most concerned about it. And um, we were gonna shoot. They were gonna try and see if the mother would feed it. So she like put it mm-hmm, under under mm-hmm. the tree it fell out of, which was a big ass palm tree, which is why she couldn't try and get it back in the <laughs> nest. And then the lady came out and she's like, "Oh, I'll take care of it. <clears throat> I'll, I'll take care." I she's like, "I have nursed all kinds of baby birds and a baby eagle once, and all this stuff." Is like, okay, it's great, man. Because I was like, okay, oh, wow. great, I was like yeah. "What do I do with this thing?" I know, yeah, I, I just God, I would kill me to deal, have to deal with that bird and then have it die or something. I just can't. Like my my, I'm too. I'm too wimpy to deal with that. Well, I understand,
0: man. We, we actually had a baby, we have baby birds on our porch and they just, uh, they fledged out. They were up on right above our front door. So you walk out the front door and there are the baby birds and mama feeding them. So we became, we've had this like relationship with them
1: Yeah.
0: and her nest fell apart and they all fell out. Oh, one of them died. I think oh. one of them, it died, but the other three lived and they lit, she literally fledged them out in the corner by our front door. We kept snakes away from them, everything. And now they're flying around and doing oh, their thing. Oh, cool. It's pretty cool.
1: Did she lift them back up into the nest? No, she she continued to feed
0: them on the ground and carry all their poops away. It was amazing. Whoa. And you could talk to her too. You could be like, Mama, what about the one baby around the corner? And she'd fly around the corner to the one and feed it and then come back and feed uh, the other that two. That bird one understands one. English
1: yeah. even. Damn. Super cool, man. <laughs> yeah, was cool. That was amazing. It is amazing.
0: Well, that's that's better than my desert story this morning, which is the first thing that happened to me when I got up was I went outside and let the dogs in the yard and all of a sudden I hear screaming. And so I'm like, What the hell? And I don't even have my contacts in. So I run out in the yard and I thought that maybe one of those baby birds, in fact, had been cornered by the dogs and was being bit. So I pushed all the dogs back go in the thick of it and it's a rabbit and one of the dogs has bit it and its oh. back legs are its back's broken but it's crawling on its oh front God. legs Did you put? yeah you so that's it how i woke miserably? up this morning of course i did but how, it was like you, you know do what it? a horrible thing you have to wake up i, I don't even want to go into the gory details it's miserable <laughs> shit it's like that's how i woke up this morning was killing some poor animal that was crawling around and carrying uh, dragging its back legs so yeah, that it's that been one is of sad. those days but anyway moving on dark arts <laughs> society with our guest pete moerbacher <laughs>
1: Yes, we'd like to introduce. Uh, that was that was the lamest introduction hey. ever, ever, on the show. Uh, well, uh, we, we we've got an amazing guest yeah, today. Speaking of killing adorable animals, <laughs> we've got Pete Moorbacher <laughs> here today. Hello, Pete. Hey. Yeah. How's Pete, it going, Pete? If you guys don't know his work, he's uh, he comes from a fantasy illustration background, and he's he's like the number one champion for breaking out for fantasy artists breaking out and doing their own thing and not uh, yeah, being beholden to the uh, corporate entities that most of them are usually paid by doing your own thing. So yeah,
2: I'm not like the number one most successful artist doing that, but I'm probably the noisiest at trying to get other people to do
1: it. You're one of the, you gotta be up there. I don't know. I don't know anybody. Well, you're ma- making more than at least on your Patreon than, than a lot of people I've seen trying to do this thing Uh,
2: as far as like people who make uh images and post them on the internet go i think i'm probably in the top 10 as far as patreon is concerned yeah so like not the top of the hill but i'm i've gotten i got on it really early which is part of the reason yeah you started in the rankings
1: like three three years ago or something
2: yeah it's almost four years ago i think because i started within the first year of patreon being launched it was a thing I thought could exist, and I was thinking about for like the last ten plus years. Right. So so as Mike soon too. as I <laughs> saw it, I jumped right on it. I was like, "Oh, this is a thing that I came up with, but I didn't have any means of actually that's bringing in the world."
1: That's exactly. Really
2: happy those guys did it.
1: Yeah, that's what Mike. Mike was talking about that two years ago as well. You know, uh, not too many years ago, he was saying that when we were doing that. <laughs> the uh 2012, yeah, 2012 documentary when i
0: first brought that up
1: yeah it's pretty funny so that's well that's why these ideas succeed because a lot of people are thinking i'm It just take someone to actually do it you know but yeah uh, uh, big thanks jack conti for actually like
2: um you know focusing on that and becoming a ceo instead of doing the music that he normally does full-time
1: oh yeah 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 i i, I, I is that the dude uh who does the hangouts him and that
2: yeah that the- yeah he's the dude uh, i've got to meet him and. Um, He is as into this stuff, he is like the only person I've met who's more into this stuff than I am.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the right, Um, that's the person you want to be the CEO of a company like that, you know?
2: Yeah. No, it's really cool. I I really dig Patreon as a company and as well as like just enjoying the service too.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I'm excited to have you on because I love, your work's amazing. It's really, really amazing. and it is um, it's
0: like all inspiring it's it that kind it's, of on inspiring quality to where you're like it's epic it's almost as, even it's like
1: you know when you when you hit a certain level it's all good you know what i mean it's not like you get to a certain level and that's like well this guy's better still a little bit better than him it's like there's a certain level you get to and it's just you know there's no comparison it's like you're i think your work is at that that level it's amazing really 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 I agree. amazing i agree and um but but the, you know aside from wanting to have you on for that reason, uh, you're the guy that got me on Patreon, and I know Mike. I know you were bugging me to get on Patreon before, but Pete,
0: <laughs> I, was, I won't. My feelings aren't hurt.
1: <laughs> well, Pete was I mean, Pete was I doing made a Pete minor was, career out of convincing people to yeah, do stuff. Like he this, so he he, like, he convinced me to do it because and and I saw him at working for him in a, in a way that like was like wow I can understand how this could work for me. So uh, you know I really credit you for getting me getting me totally into it. So I, I really, uh, totally appreciate that. And, and you're really, well, that's a
2: point of pride for me. Cause I've got huge respect for your work and all the stuff that you've made. So being a part of your story is like a, is a big deal for me too.
1: Oh, cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. I was, I was, um, when we we spent, I don't know how long talking that one day when you were, you were just giving me all this info about Patreon and it was, you could ask Mike, I it was, I was like, You know, I can't believe all this info this guy's given me. I just just (laughs) met him and he's like telling me everything. And, you know, I I really haven't met anybody like that other than myself that tries to like give people information and help them just to do it. You know, it's like it was so nice to finally to get something like that back, you know. I
2: uh, well I, every for the past like four years while I've been in India, I've been doing a weekly web show where just I go live and talk to artists of all different stripes. And it's me and my buddy Sam and we just try not to hold anything back. It's, it's 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 called One Fantastic Week and it's not condensed in any way. Yeah,
1: that's a great so people keep asking thing. us
2: about like, oh, well, how do I get more info about this? I'm like, well, there's like 400 episodes. Right. And,
1: you got to put some time. It's in. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
2: uh, so it's like it, it's a really inefficient way to learn all this stuff, but it's all technically there. So the like the more condensed, more direct version of it that we do is we have a workshop every year. And, um, we got the fourth one coming up this November and we're like pushing it to try to sell tickets right now. So if people want to like come hang out and have like one-on-one time with me and a bunch of other instructors that are as into this whole indie lifestyle, you know, they can go to onefantasticweek.com and go look at information for that. It's expensive. It's like $1,800 for a four day workshop, but it's like all inclusive. The dorms and the food and everything are all part of it. So uh, we try to make sure that like, cause it's like, 1800 bucks is a lot to spend on a thing, but it's also a doable amount of money to make back over the course of like a year, the next year. Oh, if yeah, you sure. you know, trying to upgrade like your convention sales or, you know, a Patreon or Kickstarter or something like, yeah, those things can make more than $1,800. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like,
1: exactly. Right. Yeah. I was listening to the, I think it was the last podcast where you we were talking about, you know, getting your giant banner made and just set, you know, stuff that people don't normally talk about, like how to set your booth up and booth sizes. And, you know, and it's like the only other person who has kind of been so, the only other artist I know that, that was, that's been really helpful to me and, and vocal about the business side of things is Gabe Leonard, my friend, Gabe Leonard. He's, he kind of got me started doing prints and stuff way back when and, I listened uh, to that episode. He he uh, he was really cool. I yeah, thought he had a great attitude about all of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's kind of one of the things you know we want to uh, break down that barrier of making money is bad thing that you hear from so many artists kind of like justifying why they're broke and <laughs> sometimes like <laughs> you know it, 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 you don't have to be broke and be an artist. You it, you just have to pay attention to the business <laughs> aspect of it. You know. It's just, yeah and it takes time it takes time and it takes effort but it's but hard it's yeah it's I, think hard. The,
2: I think the attitude about artists like sort of deserve to be broke is just people starting with the conclusion that you know it's it's a justification for the spot that they're in and not not really the thing that they aspire to do I think any creator would be perfectly happy to be supported in their endeavors yeah and, for sure um, I, I think that you know people should be hopeful about being able to be successful and be an artist at the same time. And, uh, you know, that that's gotta be the first step towards getting ahead at this thing. Cause you, you just, you, you have to, uh, you have to assume it's possible and you have to take steps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you have to not buy into that stereotype. And, and it's, you know, it is kind of true that the, you know, the creative mind is less, maybe less has less aptitude at dealing with numbers and business, but, I had, I did it because I had to, I'm, I'm terrible with math, all that stuff. I had no interest in business at all ever. And then once I was in a position to where it's like, well, I have to learn this stuff or else I'm not going to be able to paint anymore. Then it was like, well, I'll I'll learn it. And I learned it and I had no aptitude for it. Or I had more aptitude than I guess I thought I did because I was able to learn it and make it work for me, you know? So it's, it's very important to, you know, to, to not, not fear that, that business thing, because if I can learn it, anybody can learn it.
2: Well, you know how it is when like people come up to you at a, like, an event and they're like, I can't even draw a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, come on. And you're like, I can't even draw a stick figure. And you're like, well, you didn't try. Yeah. You didn't try. Like, you're like, you're like upset with them immediately. They're trying to be cute. And it's just upsetting because you're like, I put effort into this and that's why I can do it. So like when someone's like, oh, I could never do that. I'm no good at business. And it's just like, I feel like it's sort of the same attitude of just, you know, starting with conclusion rather than really if you you aspire to be able to have the level of creative independence that an independent artist has, Mm -hmm. then like you need to start there and think about like how, what, what options do you have available to you? Cause every artist has like a different set of um, aptitudes and, and different preferences. And so like we all have different opportunities right. and figuring out which of those opportunities and which tools are best fits for us. Uh, it's it's going to be a different answer for each person. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's totally I mean, true. Putting in the effort to try stuff out and figure out what's right for your career at the time that you're at right now, that's like, um, when I see people doing that, I, I always see them get ahead eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it, it's always trial and error. And it usually takes a little bit of time to get booted up. Um, especially if they're early on in their art making career, but even people who are even like people who have not been making art for that long, I've seen them do well at business, you know, with the right attitude and the right approach for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it's half the equation, I would say. It really is kind of a 50-50 deal. You have to, you know, you have to you have to be good. You have to be doing good work, but you also have to be doing good business. You know, it's just the two go hand in hand. You know, are you gonna say something, Mike.
2: Well, I, I, I see a lot of. Oh yeah, Mike. What do you got to say?
1: I thought you were gonna say. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Your go mouth. Ahead, your cool. mouth opened <laughs> like that baby bird I fed the other day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, whenever I see an artist who I think their work is great and they they're making amazing stuff and they've been around for a decade, two decades, three decades, like I know that with just a little bit of proper business etiquette, that they can make the money they need to be able to get by. Mm-hmm. And so, like. I have really tried to advocate for these things because I want to see people like that who I really respect be in a comfortable position because I've met a lot of them that are struggling financially. um, And they're still trying to hustle after small money
1: commissions you know, in their fifties and sixties, this is me, 70s, this 50s. is me you're describing <laughs> up until I got it. I, I'm thinking I know in two years, I'm going to be out of this situation because of Patreon, because it's gone to a, to the level where I could see in a couple of years, it's going to be, you know, it's going to change my, change my whole life. But anyway, that, that, that's basically me. You're talking about 50 years old well, you, and doing commissions. you have also and, gotten
2: some other stuff lined up that you've been doing really well. I mean, like your original sales, like your online, you, you know how to sell stuff online yeah, too. You make yeah. an effort for it. And I, it's like often it takes like two or three different, you know, pillars to build up like a stable income. Yep. especially because some things are you know sporadic in the way they, uh, you know, the online sales tend to go up and down. Yeah, so you you really need to like try out a few things or run a few things concurrently. And so when I see somebody who's got great work but they don't have anything going, yeah, I, it's I always get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm really nervous and I want to reach out and help whenever possible because I, I just I got this sense of like fairness and I wanna see those people succeed. They should succeed. They've yeah. earned it. Yeah. I feel
0: you, Pete, because that's I mean that's the whole reason I even got involved with Chet, you know. That's why I have to be careful because I adopt people, you know, and I adopted <laughs> the, the Chet thing because I was like, dude, this guy's doing this amazing fucking shit and nobody knows about it. This like there needs to be movies, there needs to be like attention on this guy, you know. So I feel you on that level. There's like a passion on that level you know, and to be able to just be along for the ride and watch them at least make some progress is gratifying in and of itself, you know? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I used to do like a paid mentorship thing and I've just kind of dropped over the last couple of years just to reach out to people who I want to see do better and just work with them. And just because I can, I get to like, you know, be a part of that story and and see mm. them succeed and and just get to celebrate those successes. But also, I don't have to take any of the own ri- my own risks. You know, with that, yeah, was, right. <laughs> uh, it's not my money, so I get easier to, said than done. you know. Have fun and cheer from the sidelines right. and, and get them to invest. <laughs> but I also don't like, you know, I'm not, I'm not responsible (laughs) if it doesn't work out
1: (laughs) (laughs) so okay before we get it i mean i'm the most excited about all the patreon stuff just because you know it's new to me and you're so successful at it and but let's before we get into that really heavily i want to hear your your story basically on how you got into the fantasy art illustration and and then how you how you decided to make your way out and the whole deal
2: Okay, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh when I was a teenager I was way into anime and I started drawing because I really liked, you know, video games and anime, which mm-hmm. is I that not like a super romantic um or you know high minded reason to get into art, but <laughs> I how, how old are you? I was like sixteen. Now how old are you now? Oh I'm I'm thirty five. Okay. All right. So I've been at it for a little bit. The, yeah. Um and it was like I I discovered as soon as I started drawing it, like I've always had like bad social skills. So I started drawing and then people, I could communicate with people. Mm -hmm. Like people wanted to talk to me about art and I started showing up to events just like anime conventions and sitting down in artist alleys and getting to talk to people about art and getting to make stuff and having, when I posted things online, people wanted to comment, they wanted to follow and it, it wasn't even like a money thing. It was just making art, made my life more complete, made me more connected to people around me. Mm-hmm. And I was making it for that reason alone for uh, a few years before I started to really, I mean, I started to go to art school, but I was, I, I expected that they were just going to get me a job in video games, but I kept making art on the side and, and putting it onto places like deviant art and CG right. talk. Mm-hmm. And because I just I loved that connection of getting people to see it and have feelings about it, and then when I got out in the industry, I found that there was a lot of people who were obsessed with like trying to be part of Magic the Gathering or you know get hired at the right game studio, and they wanted to like fill a mold. And a lot of, you you saw a lot of that coming from like conceptart.org and this like sort of semi-celebrity culture of within concept art, and I was like. Right what the hell is all this? (laughs) I, I, um, and, and people kept asking me like, Oh, how'd you develop your style? How'd you develop your voice? I'm like, uh, I just made art for the right reasons. And, and so like I had this, this sort of, (laughs) that's it right. Independent. (laughs) I had this independent art career and I didn't even realize what I'd built because like I went off and I did video game development for like seven years. I did some magic cards on the side while I was doing that. And then, about four or five years ago, I I dumped everything to just go back to what I was doing before I got hung up on working in the right industry or making the right portfolio. And I just got back to making the kind of art that I wanted, Mm. posting it in places where people could see it for free. And then, you know, I figured out that there was tools to be able to turn that into a real career. I, I kind of figured out what those tools were before I made that jump. But um, yeah, I, I worked on like um, a a massively online multiplayer game for World of Darkness that never came out. It was in pre-production for seven years. Oh my god! Wow, well, I was on it for three years. That's the And then I worked doing Facebook games. Like I was the art lead on a, a team making a Facebook game about like cartoon dragons for uh, a couple of years out in San Francisco, and I made some money. But I was working. It was a game studio that was run by bankers. Yeah. And so. I was just like, like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody, there's like 10 ranks within the, within the studio. Like every job position had like a rank, like in the hierarchy. So like intern was ranked 10 and CEO was ranked one. And there was no, <laughs> nobody above rank six. Wasn't an investment banker. Oh, my So God. Wow. it was like the, the highest art rank. The bit, the biggest you could be and still be a creative person and make something was like a six. Yeah. And, terrible. um, I was like, this sucks. Like (laughs) the creative control that I had and the people I was around and like the money, none of it made me happy. So I started to see Kickstarter and I I had some really interesting experiences learning about Kickstarter and I was getting the sense that like crowdfunding could potentially create an entire yearly income that rivaled my Silicon Valley job. if it was done right. And then, you know, I had some freelance on the side too, to carry me and some teaching opportunities that I saw, like I was doing the mentorship thing, um, paid at first. And so I figured I got some students, you know, I do some, some Kickstarters and then I do a little freelance and I ran the math and it looked easy. And I gave myself two years. I had two years worth of savings built up to be able to give it a shot. And I, that's smart. and I didn't need it. it. I got into it and it was like, it was easy to find students because I'd already had this audience built from all of this mm-hmm. online community building that I had done. It was easy to start kickstarting stuff. And, um, you know, the freelance was fine. I, I got a couple of decent like consulting gigs around that time and it, it just felt like treading water. It was very easy to get like, stop doing that. And like, quit freelance to go full-time into being indie after like a year of feeling like my feet was under me. I just like, I put a hard stop to all of it to just pursue like Kickstarter and Patreon and web sales full-time. Wow. And, uh, and it's been fine. It's been a lot of work, but it's been the kind of work that I wanted to do. So right. I've been, I've been in control and I've been stressed out over the last few years, like on and off, but I'm getting past that. And it's just, it's, it's been this upward climb since I stopped having real jobs. And, and so I've, I've tried to share that experience sort of in real time with people, Mm -hmm. um, through my web show and just talk to other artists and find, so I can learn from them and also teach them whatever I know. So that like You know, if there's any learning lessons about the experiences I've had, I'd love for other people to be able to use them to, you know, do their own thing, their own
0: way. Yeah, it makes me happy, Pete, that you that you call it real jobs, because I've gotten so much shit from people, including (laughs) Chet on this podcast before for calling them real jobs. But that's the truth, because it's like when you're not doing that anymore, you know, and it. I think that's part, though, of the perceptual paradigm shift that has to occur is that even with you and, and me is the realization that what we're doing is real. You know what I mean? But compared to that, compared to how it is, if you're living and working with corporations, because I know I worked in casinos, man, I've I, I worked. So I know, <laughs> you know, for many, many years. And so it may not be gaming or, you know, but it's money and it's, it's huge similar. interest. Really? You know so. what I mean? Yeah. And it's hierarchy and it's jobs and it's oversight and. You know, right? So it's like that feels very real. But now I have to remember that what I'm doing now, even though I make my living like you entirely off of doing crowdfunding and off of supporting other artists doing what they do, crowdfunding ultimately, and then through some diversifications and touring and making my art and la di da, whatever I do. But it's like that doesn't feel real compared to the other thing. But it is real, and I think that that's important too for us at this stage to remember to shift and wrangle ourselves around and say, no, what I'm doing is real, and that's why Chuck gives me shit about it. So I think that. <laughs> I'm better suited to this than I was to any traditional
2: employment. Cause like I suck as an employee cause I want to, <laughs> I want to know why things work. I'm like, I'm too curious. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm too open to talk about the good and bad things uh, yeah. in a situation. Right. I'm, I'm, I tend to be impolite and I bring up, I complain about things I don't like openly like at the drop of a hat. So when I'm running my own business, that stuff works for me when I'm working for somebody else, they get pissed off. Right. So, uh, it's like the, it, it hasn't just been better for me in terms of my enjoyment of my life. It's been more profitable. I'm more effective. I'm more valuable as an independent than I am as, right. as an employee too. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think a lot of people get nervous about this because they feel like it's a there's a trade-off like you either have the financial success or you have it or you get creative freedom and I really think that for a certain type of person they're going to make more money being independent and having that creative freedom than they would you know, doing graphics for casino games, which is a very comfortable and stable job for a lot of people. You,
0: you also, though, can't value, you know, a quality of life too. And it's like the, my quality of life is va- so vastly better than it was before that it's incomparable ultimately. So it's like, you can't put a dollar symbol on that. And and I think, again, to speak, you know, speaking to the greater audience about, you know, kind of the you can do it type thing. It's like, here's a guy who, Pete, who had savings. He went into this with a game plan, very strategized you know approach. Here's someone like me who went into it with nothing and had no idea what he was doing and, and jumped <laughs> off the cliff and totally just walked into it like, oh, well, I guess it'll support me if it's supposed to, you know, and somehow I'm still here. So it just goes to show that no matter where you're at in the scale, you could talk yourself out of it, but it, anyone can do it. It doesn't matter where you're at. I consult for a lot of, on a lot of other people's careers. Like I,
2: I'm always helping out so I'm always talking to people and I I don't want to be that bullish about it because there are people I know that have like, family situations that prevent that from happening. Right. Right. Like if you're caring for an elder parent who is needing like serious daily care. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur takes a lot of time and right. there's other, some people have other commitments or like some people are too early in their art career to be able to make those jumps. Like I've had people contact me and be like, I've made three paintings now and I haven't gotten any Twitter followers. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, yeah. Okay. But like if, if, if for, there's a lot of pe- if you're very serious if you take a very serious look at your situation and the risk level is manageable and you have the experience and you have like the resources to learn as you go yes anybody can do it um but also i've met people that it would be an absolute nightmare for them they would hate it right so i also don't want to over i think it's easier than freelance um i think it's easier to make money as an indie than as freelance but I've met a few people that I think like freelance more, but
0: yeah, yeah. But we've, that's why we did the art life too, is to talk about all the fucked up shit that goes along with it too, because it's, <laughs> you know, it's great, but it's also terrifying. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the thing is it facing that uncertainty, it takes a certain type of metal.
2: And, and- oh man. I, I love, I get off on the uncertainty of it. The walking headfirst into the fog is something I like doing in games. It's something that, I mean, I like doing, I like doing it in a simulated way and I like doing it in real life, mm-hmm. taking on risk and seeing and, and like moving forward through uncertainty to me feels like fun. It, right. It's exciting. Hey, that's a, it's, Yeah. It's that exciting. sounds like,
1: that sounds like Mike. That sounds like Mike. Yeah. Mike is like super <laughs> like adrenaline junkie, risk taking kind of guy, you know, just on, all different kinds but of it's levels. like
0: you said though, but, it, but there's, there's a caveat there and it's, that it's all, you know, a matter of looking at the risk and the potential benefit and weighing those things, right. you know, and mm-hmm. there's, there is, there's kind of this cost benefit analysis that goes on with everything, you know? Yeah. I'm not a big gambler. I don't like gambling
1: because, I don't I, I, I'm,
2: <laughs> I, but I, but I like, I like to take bets all the time when it comes to my own business. Like, I'm going to try this thing. Right. I don't know if it's going to work, but if it fails, if it totally bottoms out, here's the total amount that I have on the line that I, that I have that I can't, I'm going to lose by trying in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of attention. Like I need to know how much I stand to lose by failing. And if the risk is worth the potential benefit, and if the downside isn't so bad, then like, yeah, I'm going to keep finding and making new bets all the time because The bad ones have lost me thousands, tens of thousands of dollars at times, Mm. but you know, the, the good ones have made me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so like, as long as I'm managing risk, it's possible to keep growing this thing. And, um, I I mean, there's a point where I think I'm probably going to get sick of it, but I don't know.
1: Hire someone else to deal with everything when you get to that point. I'm working
2: on. I've, I, I've I heard that. Yeah. Play right now, and she's amazing. That's. I need. I, I need to hire another person
1: full time. That's what my my wife and I've been talking about for a few years. Is just like you know, getting my um, my son and his fiance and letting them do shows for me, so I don't even have to deal with it. Or at least, even just if the lo- even for local ones, having them set everything up, so I just have to come in and show up and do a signing. And then, because it's hard work doing those conventions, and that that's something that's another uh, aspect of of the indie art life that you have to like to work. I think. I mean, you have because because mm-hmm. because you will <laughs> totally. work really hard. But you know, I I love to work hard. If it's something that I'm into, like my artwork, I mean, I I love it to push past that. It's like when people talk about exercise, which I hate exercising. <laughs> they talk about getting past that point of of, you know, where the endorphins kick in, it's like, I love that with a painting session or, you know, or even, you know, pushing myself to get this video tutorial done and pushing through the pain. And then like, oh, the feeling when you, when you get something done, that's for yourself and you know, you've busted your ass and given your all is really rewarding, you know? So I like that aspect as well, but you do, you do need to, to have, yeah, you have to be willing to do the hard work, and that's one of the things that you know. Not everybody is suited to working really hard. Some people just like to chill, you know.
2: All the artists I know are all crazy workaholics. Yeah, uh, most of them. I, I know the some that aren't. That I don't. try to like get them to focus on the business side some too, because I mean, you say you don't like exercise, but I'm I'm like hmm, I wonder, you know how you know, if there's a certain type exercise, you would actually probably maybe written off
1: probably and like,
2: it's the same thing with people who tell me they don't like to do business stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. like, no,
1: you're right. Yeah. But
2: have you tried this? Like you might actually really get into it once you try it out. Yeah.
0: You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so like, you're very you're very much Pete, you're very much a pragmatist. It's fun to listen to you and Chet go back and forth. Because <laughs> Chet's always the I'm like I'm ridiculous, right? And Chet's totally pragmatic. And so it's funny to listen to you because I'm like well, philosophically speaking, you know, it's like, you know, even if you're not ready for something, you could still pull it off if you believed in it. And you're like, Yeah, but you really have to take into account these basic facts in <laughs> a person's you know what I mean? It's so great. I love people like you guys because you help to temper me and balance me out because I'm kind of like off the ch off the charge sometimes. <laughs> Well, you need to have a balance of both qualities because
2: you've got to be willing to leap off the cliff. But it's real. But also, like, if you measure like it's like those guys that do the big like um, they drive a motorcycle off a ramp over a cliff. Like it looks like this crazy stunt, but they've done so much math to figure out right. the exact height of that ramp and the speed they need to be going and all that before they hit it. Yeah. Like, that's me. Like, I want to do the dangerous I want to do the exciting thing that that involves risk and like something do to do something spectacular but I I also am going to measure the shit out of the ramp before I hit it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's just being smart. That's the way I see it. You know. Spreadsheets, well, uh, man, spreadsheets. I got yeah, I that's I haven't gotten on my spreadsheets yet. <laughs>
0: I moved. I'm like, fuck all that stuff. I had to do that for so long. Mike is Mr. Mike is the spreadsheet. god.
1: I've had Mike do some spreadsheets for me because he's the spreadsheet God. But it's uh, dumb, all
0: that stuff. It's funny now, actually, because if someone were to ask me, like, say, you know, oh, well, tell me about this, that or the other thing in relation to that business. I don't think I could pull it up anymore. I really don't. I could count chips. I could probably cut chips but you know, cause you, I've been, I did that for 17 years. Yeah, he was like a mani- asked me like accounting stuff.
1: He was a manager at a casino. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Go ahead, Chad. When, no, I was just saying he was a man. I was telling Pete, he's a, he was a manager at a casino. Like, Oh shit. Yeah. It's a, like a real, <laughs> real, real, real job. I mean <laughs> the amount
2: of like stuff you need to know to be able to run your books for a business is like, it's not that much. N- nobody needs to become like a, a mat. no one needs a no, math doctor yeah. to
1: do this. Especially with oh. all the online stuff too. Oh, it's like yeah. Every, yeah. everything's, there's it's records of, there's records of everything online, you know, I'm pretty bad about that, but it's like, there's a record of everything I'm spending yeah, and, and bringing in. Yeah, it's also
2: easy to hire like an accountant online or a bookkeeper online. Like there are so many services and so many tools and everything's that, cause it's like, you're going to start off and do it a bad way and do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then at a certain point, if it's working, the business should grow and then you can just hire somebody else to right. handle it yeah. you burn a little bit of the money to be able to give yourself back the time and the attention and to get it done right and in oh. the end you end up profiting as a result of that investment
0: Well, it's like you said, I mean, even like, uh, like Gusto, I do, I have to do payroll, you know, and it's just that being able to pay that platform to handle all the nonsense involved with my payroll. So I just pay them the fee. I write myself payroll whenever I want to do it, but I'm doing it legitimately. And as a result of doing it that way, I don't have to worry about it. And then all the paperwork comes to me at the end of the year, I can put it all together. So there, like you said, there are so many things every day that are unlocking for all of us to make and streamline our processes. It's ridiculous not to take advantage of those things.
2: Yeah, I think people, they when they think that they can't do it, it's really just a lack of research into seeing what's yeah. a, what's available because they, the world's gotten to a really interesting place. Technology has taken us to a really interesting place where stuff like, I mean, just on the front-facing part of it, like Patreon and Kickstarter allow you to do something that would normally be complicated and hard to build from scratch but you need you still need to write copy and you know right. for, do pricing and create graphics and things but that's nothing compared to trying to keep up with like you know a, a, the w- whatever they need to do to process payments for subscription right. exactly like, oh my god i yeah. don't even want to think about that yeah and so it's just like same thing happens with like payroll and accounting and all of the other stuff that's like the business part of businesses i use squarespace for my website and squarespace is just you point at it, you click on it. If you need to figure out how to do something, you Google it. And you, 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 never, you can't lose that bad. You can't screw it up that bad. And I find that there are a lot of people that still don't do it. And it really isn't a barrier of knowledge or technology. It's really just a fear of exploring that right. opportunity um, or um, a fear about trying something new that's outside
0: of their vision for who they are. Hey, I got a question for you, Pete. Have you ever suggested to to someone who's interested in doing like, let's say a Kickstarter or Patreon and just say, you know, well, why don't you just build it? And then you could just never launch it. I mean, cause like, you know, that's the truth is you could build. I mean, I actually have three Kickstarters that I built that are sitting there and I'll launch them someday. Cause that's the kind of guy I am. But the truth is, is you can just build things and just build yeah. them and then never do right. anything. You could build a big cartel page and not launch it. You can build well, that, a you know, anything on that, Patreon. That, and, and it gives people that chance to say, oh, I'm comfortable trying this on and, and, and fucking around in here because I'm yeah. safe. That's kind well, of what, what you why said. Like it, about.
1: On your, on, I'm sorry, but that, that's what you said on on your blog about Patreon. Just build yeah. the thing. Just start, even if you don't just have the big following. I, I thought that was interesting because I've always been like, first get your following, because from everything, the, from the following comes everything. So yeah. I've always been like that, and just and to hear see that um blog post you wrote was really interesting, because you, you you were just basically saying, build the thing. Have the, you know, first have the, you know, let people have an opportunity to give you money and just have it sitting there, even if you're not offering that much and and then build the fan base and, and you could kind of get them, get them there after you've built it. But if it's not it's there, not, no, like no, one's not gonna, gonna... no one's going to, no one's going to be giving you any money if it's not up, you know, but it's
2: also, it's yeah, also yeah. free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's free. Exactly. It's infinitely <laughs> flexible. Like people don't do it because they're, they want to do it the right way right. and they want to optimize it. But no one ever feels like they've gotten everything locked down and perfect. So, yeah. you know, that's just a recipe for never doing it. You you have, to, you have to jump into it before you know what you're doing. You have to fail on your feet. You have to just go ahead and try it because, I mean this is the same advice you hear from every business podcast, right? If you ever listen to any business podcast or read any business, books, I don't we'll tell you the so same three pieces of advice <laughs> all the time. They're like, fail fast. Um, if you if you uh, if you don't if you aren't embarrassed by the thing that you launched, then you launch too late. You know, like uh, you just go ahead and make the damn thing. And Great. then you, you figure out what's broken about it by seeing where it breaks when it makes contact with your audience. Right. Oh, and, um, <laughs> and you just you, you just launch the damn thing. And especially if you can do it in a low stakes way, like the first Kickstarter I did, I was rehashing a bunch of old Magic the Gathering art that I had to see if people would buy like prints and play mats of a bunch of stuff that I already had painted. And it was like $12,000 in sales in 30 days. Like, okay. Yeah, I'll take that. Right. <laughs> it, it was, it was, took nothing to run it and start it. And like the, the sales were there because of the other investments that I had spent years building up. But that, you know, that campaign looks embarrassingly small compared to, Someone, some of the other ones that are very similar run by other artists nowadays or right. the ones that I've run since then. But at yep. the time, that was such a huge deal. I had a yeah. friend who took that advice and he had been doing fantasy art for like 10 years. And uh, I did a talk and I, and I talked about that. And then he came back to me doing the talk the next year and he said, oh, I did it. And I made like $3,500 on a Kickstarter. It was awesome. I've never gotten paid for doing my own work like this. Thank you. And then he did like, I think his last Kickstarter, uh, he did say he ended up pivoting to making dice. His last Kickstarter did like $300,000. Wow. (laughs) And I was like, like, it's almost like if he hadn't just jumped in and sort of figured out the possibilities of it and gotten comfortable with it on a smaller scale. Uh, I don't know if he would have ended up in that same, you know, collaboration and opportunity doing this other thing that turned into this huge business.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what, what I, uh, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, at, you know, at this point in my career, I'm I, looking back on my career and I started painting, you know, in the early two thousands and, um, you know, when I first started, I didn't, I, I wasn't ready. I didn't feel ready. I didn't know shit about art. It was completely, I mean, I'd been doing it all my life, but I never went to school. So I was basically, I had enough confidence in myself that I know I could make, good paintings. I just know it. I I did, you know, a little test run to see if I could paint. And I just, I was like, I can do this. I know I could do this. So I just started, I got in some shows and man, I was the whole time I was like, you know, I had the full on imposter syndrome thing. I was like, man, I'm just going to I'm t- totally fake it till you make it thing. I'm just going to accept every show that will have me. And that's going to force me to paint. It's going to put some pressure on me. And, um, and I'm just going to wing it. I'm just, I'm just going to make it work. And I kept doing that. And there was never a point where I was like, I felt like, ah, yes, I'm, I've got it all figured out and I'm totally comfortable. I still feel like, you know, I still feel like there's so much in your
2: story. That's so right. (laughs) Like it's like, if you talk to artists as much as someone uh, as, as like we do, Mm -hmm. you discover like literally everyone has imposter syndrome. Right. Right. And the ones that don't are, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true. That don't you tend not to have long relationships, with, <laughs> right? like, um, but like everybody else has imposter syndrome. And so you're like, oh, well, I, that's just a, it's just a side effect of the medicine. Like you do, you, you're never going to not have that. right? Uh, so like, okay. And then, you know, like everybody else or you just like going ahead and doing it and getting into multiple shows to keep the accountability up. Like there are so many people that stall out because they expect that they're supposed to have the willpower to get back in the studio every single day. And when they don't build a system of accountability around themselves, and if they don't have like, aren't always talking to other people that have their own hustle going on to inspire them and and keep them pushing, like, you know, you have to have that system Mm -hmm. to be able to keep going because it's so, so rare for someone to just Wake up every day, work like crazy for no reason. <laughs> for, like no show coming up, yeah. no release, no like web thing. Like I'm just gonna wake up, I'm gonna work like crazy, then I'm gonna put it in a hole and bury it, and then just <laughs> eat the next day. Like right. you need to have it be a part of the thing. You need to be around people that are doing it. Like when you're around a bunch of people in shows and everyone's hanging their work up, and you're like, I gotta get fucking good. Exactly. These people are awesome. I've yeah. gotta get fucking good. And you don't know how, cause nobody knows how, so you just you do what you can, you learn what you can. You're yeah. always talking to people. You're always participating. And when you have that attitude about it, like you get places, everyone who has that attitude about it gets places. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it doesn't look like that's the secret, but that is totally the secret.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that's what I always say too. It's funny. It's like the only secret is that there is no secret. Yeah. <laughs> really. You know what I mean? Cause it, it's, it's very yeah. simple. It's not complex as all truths are.
1: And it's all it, different it's, too. Everyone's path is different. Like it's, absolutely. You
0: know, but
2: there are so archetypes nonetheless. Yeah. Like, um, if you know what the secret is, I mean, if you, if you know how all that stuff works, you look at it and you go, yeah, it was right there on the surface the whole time. You see that what the people around you have been doing and some of it, you, so much of it you take for granted, and especially someone who's like just out of college, who doesn't have a lot of life experience yet. They take all the stuff they're seeing for granted as just a part of like, just like stuff that happens. Right. And they're like, but what's the secret? Right. Like you're looking, yeah. you are, <laughs> you're seeing all of it. The same. They, no, no. You, you need to understand the importance of like why those things are, are so impactful to a person's life and career.
1: Yeah, and that that's that the same can be said for um technically like te- art skill, technical art skill as well. It's like one of those things that uh, you when you do you know especially for someone like me who is very intuitive with my artwork and and I didn't really have any training. It it's like you you wing it and wing it and you just keep painting and make sure that it looks good, acceptable to you. And then eventually you learn what you were doing. You're like, oh, that's, that's what I was doing. There's a thing it's called scumbling. I didn't know it was called scumbling. You know, I was, I've been doing this for 10 years. I didn't know it was a thing. You know, it's, it's like, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you, 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 once you get to a certain point, you realize there's, you know, other people have, you know, figured it out and written it all down and you were just kind of like figuring it out on your own, you know?
2: Yeah, there's. It, there, there's. it's rare that there's like room for innovation. Like when a new tool comes out, like, you know, mm-hmm. people start learning how to paint digitally. Like there's a period of time where people are really learning what the new rules are for something. But mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to painting, you can, there, people spend a lot of money trying to learn this stuff as like, as a strict education, but mm-hmm. you know, it's unlikely that someone's going to re- really blow your mind they're just going to like tell you something that you're going to go, Oh wow. I never thought that that was physically possible with goop on a brush. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, it's goop in a brush. Like there's a, that's a lot of territory there, but you know, rarely are you ever going to see something that actually looks like magic. It, it, it's all hard work in the end. So if you're putting in the work, like you're going to
1: find your own way through it. Absolutely. Um, So you are, you paint, Mostly digital. You, do you paint in oils yeah. or, or, or or traditional media at all?
2: I've mucked with it. Um, I've got a few little originals I've made that got finished, and then some bigger ones that never got finished. Okay. And I've I started I started digital. Like I I started painting digitally around the time when digital painting tools started getting good. Mm-hmm. And um, my method of work is kind of like a traditional painter yeah, in a sense. Yeah, it that is. I, I just lay down a lot of brushstrokes. Yeah. But then I also have ways of working around some of my shortcomings that um, the digital tools let me sort of bend the painting to my will without me having to know how to do that stuff technically. Right, right. Um, especially with color where I have a lot of really powerful adjustments that I can put mm-hmm. my work through that um, I, I know how to guide the results digitally, but I don't know how to mix paint to do the same things.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. I I would love to, I'd love to see you. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, it would be something you wouldn't have to do unless you just wanted to do it, but it would be really cool to see you painting in oils just as an oil painter myself. I I love oils so much, you know, and there is something, there is something about having one original. That's pretty cool. That's the one thing that that's the only way that i think uh, traditional media is better than digital media because i start i was doing digital forever i i've i started uh painting digitally at first so that's how i was selling my prints and i was doing 3d animation and stuff but uh there is a cool thing about having one thing this physical object in the world you know that you can't really get any other way
2: yeah i um i like doing it i like the big reason i want to do more traditional painting is because i like the experience of sitting down
1: and yeah. working like the
2: tactile sense of it oh yeah like yeah makes me happy while I'm doing it so I've tried to find some more time to do it but there's a sense of like there's a natural sense of control that I get off on when I'm working digitally that I just mm-hmm. um, I enjoy coming back to over and over again so it, it's really just the times where I'm gonna be spending uh, you know working with traditional versus digital is it's really just going to be a matter of like what's making me happy right then. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. And you're, and, and uh, you're getting in that position financially with all your, your Patreon success to where you can kind of do what you want, you know, on a yeah, whim, you know, it's like, I want to start painting in oils now and it doesn't matter if I even sell the paintings.
2: Yeah. And the, um the schedule, the biggest concern is the schedule. Cause like, I'm like two years delinquent on a Kickstarter.
1: Yeah. Uh, just a <laughs> Welcome to the, let's movie. start a club. Yeah, yeah, right. All three of us
2: are here. Uh, and I have put a lot of stuff on hold or back burner to focus on that. And right. um, I was like, I had a painting that I was trying to finish in oils that I got. I thought I was like 80% of the way Yeah, I is grown. that the
1: one you posted on uh, Patreon and then you, you ended up finishing it digitally? Is that the one you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And that was the one I was, I just, that was my last painting I finished. I, I just decided to finish it digitally because it, it was sitting not being worked on for a year. Cause I just like, I'm waiting for time to come back to it. Right. And then I was like, I'm going to do it this month. And I, I, I weighed whether or not I thought I could finish it in a month uh, in oils. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out that when I tried to finish it digitally, that the amount of work it was going to take to finish even digitally, it, it was like the most involved painting I've ever made. Right. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was really happy because I, I looked at, I got to look at the, photos of the oil painting versus the final digital painting. And I was like, I wasn't 80% of the way through this. I was 20% of the way through this. I was so far away from getting it done. I made the right choice by dumping out and like doing things, you know, in my preferred medium, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to finish it someday. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to like do one of these one of my mainline Angelarian paintings and oils someday. It's just definitely not that one. Right I, right. I had I had tried to make it based off of a classic painting, like a tribute to a classic um piece of illustration, and it uh it raised the bar for how detailed the that piece needed to be. Mm-hmm. So instead of playing off of a really uncomfortable position. So I was like getting hit from two angles. I, if I was doing something that was more in line with like my, 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 my easiest right, nat- right. natural
1: style, yeah, yeah. I definitely
2: could finish something. So it'll happen, but yeah, yeah. not for this book because I need
1: to get this. Oh book yeah. I'm with you, yeah. I'm with you, Yeah, I'm with you. I totally understand. But I, I, you know, it's funny cause I, I got, I, when I got into digital, I guess started doing digital stuff around 98. And, um, I got totally into it, man. I was just like, it was before I started painting. I was into 3d and 3d animation and I was so excited about it. And so, and, and uh, painting in Photoshop and all that. Um, and then I, uh, I did some animation that tool used for their live show. I started doing some like 3d animation that they projected on their backgrounds for their live shows. And, um, I had, so I had the, those that I still kept the rights to them because I kind of let them use some of them. And then I thought I'm going to make a DVD because that was the idea with these looping animations back in '98. They, I had this amazing idea that you would do animations that looped and play it forever. Like, you know, that's every GIF yeah. or whatever you see now online. <laughs> it's like so not, it's the big deal. you right. but, <laughs> but at the time, I was like, you know, oh, it'd be, it's funny because I was thinking, yeah, you could, I would have a whole show of paintings, but they would be digital looping animations. And then I'd get flat screens for the frames and they'd be on the wall and it would be these animated paintings. And back then I couldn't afford to buy one of those flat screens. And It's like, now you could do it, a show like that easily and it's almost like trite at this point. But um, what, what happened was is I, I got way into digital and then I did that. I decided to make this DVD of these looping animations using some of the tool stuff and then making a bunch of new ones and it was really fun and you know artistically it was super fun creatively but at the end of it I did everything in my little cellar and I was set up and I don't know how long it took me but I did all the animation I rendered it I put it together in after effects and I treated it so it all looked cool made sure everything was looping and then I figured out how to record and I made all this weird audio psychedelic audio and I figured out how to get it you know this is in two early two thousands, you know, got it on DVD and then I started selling them. And after that, I was so burnt out on digital. I was like, man, cause it just practically killed me. Cause it was so much, that's a lot of work to do for one person and not knowing really what you're doing either. Like having to like read books while you're doing it to figure out how to make this program work. And, um, and after that, I was just, I, I, right around that time, I'm like, okay, I want, I really want to do this painting thing. And so I kind of, as a, uh, you know, a reaction to just getting totally submerged in the digital world so deeply of like, oh, I'm just going to paint traditionally and get into that. And then it was such a relief and so satisfying to paint it physically that I really never went back to digital ex- unless it's uh it was a practical thing like doing work for film where it has to be quick turnaround and, you know, you can cut and paste and, you know, use photo collage to, cause you're just really, trying to sell an idea for an effect or something or a creature. So it doesn't have to be like nice brush strokes or anything. You know what I mean? So I just, I kind of never went back except when I need it just because I got, I'm so satisfied with oil. It's so much fun. feels so good to paint in oils.
2: It does. It feels great, but there's like a point where I just want to impose my will on the, (laughs) on the canvas.
1: And like, you don't want to bow to the will of the oils. Well, I like the
2: give and take conversation you have when you're working mm-hmm. traditionally, but there's some points where I just want to have it be a monologue. I just right. want to like tell it what to do
1: and be in charge. But and that's like, just but that's just a matter of learning how to work with it. That it is know? just a
2: matter of learning how to work with it. And so like I have that relationship yeah, you with, got that with digital with you. where I've got it. Mm-hmm. I can I can be I can work in 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 a dynamic, sort of unexpected way and have a conversation with it, but or I can just say like okay, we're doing this now and just, just push it on a track. Right. And, um, being able to do that and having like, you know, 15 plus years of experience doing that. Um, it just, I don't know. I like, I still, it feels good. I did a little fan art piece for a game. I really liked, um, the other night I was just on a video call with some, um, community members from one fantastic week and I was just poking at this thing and it took me like 90 minutes to start to finish, to do like a digital painting. Yeah. That's amazing. It's like, and it's just, I really like the thing that came out the other side and, and then it's doing super good on social media. I'm getting like hundreds or thousands of new followers yeah. as a result of this 90 minutes of work. Cause yeah, I just that's just Super comfy with this thing. So like I got the thing, I didn't have to invest a lot in it. Mm. I mean, it's doing great for all the other aspects of my business, like digital, just like, it it's, hits all the notes. For yeah, it works.
1: It works for you. It works for you, you know, I, and it's cool that that you're able to make that work because when I fir- when I first started getting into the fine art scene, you know, I wanted to do it digitally. I wanted to do basically what you're doing and then do prints and stuff. But um, and even. Oh, man, I wish the fine art scene, bought digital. That's the prints. thing. Like they, that's that's what I was like going to
2: prices. The price difference between they're like, oh, well, it's it's, you know, it's because of printing, blah, blah, blah. And then you see photography, right? You have Photographs right. selling for a million dollars. Like, why isn't there a digital painting that sells yeah. for there's right? a million dollars?
1: There's a prejudice against digital in the fine art world. And, and it's still there. E- even then, that's one of the reasons I ended up going to oil because I was like, you know, they won't take me with digital. So I have to do it the other way. And, um, you know, I'm glad I went that way. But um, I do love digital. And so it's so cool because there, it's cool to see that you've figured out a way to make digital work for you. You know financially because it's you know you yeah. wouldn't have been able to do you may have you know uh, there was a guy named Ray Caesar. Do you know Ray Caesar? He was doing. No, I don't. He does. He uh, works great. Yeah, he's great. It's kind of got a Mark Ryden vibe to it, but but um, yeah, I can he, see why you'd say that. Yeah, but he does it in three D, three D, and um, he would. Do, he had an interesting approach. He would do these really cool scenarios. Um, he's not painting in Photoshop, but he is you know doing it in a 3D program and probably processing it after in a in a paint program but um he would print one print and mount it on wood and sell it for like you know 10,000 bucks or 5,000 bucks or something and it's like this is the only one that's ever going to be printed this is the one original you know that's it and 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 uh he was able to make it in the fine art scene but he's the only digital guy I know who's able to do that even my friend Cam owned, who was like at happypencil.com, the guy, he did tool stuff before me. He's like a total genius. And um, he couldn't get in the art galleries doing digital. So he switched to oils. And luckily, he's just amazing at oils as he is at digital. So.
2: Well, he's yeah. amazing at everything. Yeah, so. he's,
1: yeah he, showed, <laughs> he showed me his first sculpture he ever did. And it was like as good as any professional sculptor that I've ever seen like a figure he did it was i couldn't believe it he's just like one of those freaks you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) i i i um i got a buddy who's trying to do he's calling them master prints where he he'll do other prints but he's only going to do one that's like this one big one right Right. so at this big size there's one it's one-on-one and he calls them master prints and he's trying to sell them for comparable to oil painting prices and he sold a couple of them Mm. and it's just it's not to like collectors or art galleries it's just to like people at conventions,
1: right? Somebody at
2: convention will drop by and spend like a couple thousand dollars on like a print. And you know, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm so big on just this indie market, just direct sales, because you think of people spending several thousand dollars on a piece of art. They need that provenance. They need Mm to know what gallery sold it and what's the reputation of that gallery and all that. But if you get a big, group if you get like tens of thousands of random people in a big convention center and you just like tell them it's worth 5000 bucks <laughs> right like, yeah yeah declare it, <laughs> someone in there may agree with you right and they don't need they don't care about gallery stuff mm-hmm. or like the whole fine art world or like how it was reviewed like they they look at it they want it they can afford it it's 5000 bucks handshake deal you make it happen right there on the right. floor and You just, I think it's possible for some, I've I've seen cases where people have developed huge prices for their work, selling directly into an indie market without having to go through the fine art world. And I, I I think there's more of that out there. And I I think the more that that happens, the more open it's going to be
0: for people to just, you know, declare their own value. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing, right there. I think that's what we've been. That's kind of what we're dancing up next to. The importance of that, right there. Go ahead, Chet.
1: But, oh, I was just going to say the other exciting thing about being an indie artist right now, and and I've you know I've heard people say this, but I'll say it too. It's really the best time ever in the history of humanity to be an artist, for sure. Because oh yeah, absolutely, no question about it. So, um, but uh, oh God, what was my point? What were we just talking about? <laughs> I love it
0: when this happens. <laughs> At least <laughs> once, an episode, happens once, once an episode. It happens once, once
1: an episode. No. Uh, oh, you know oh, oh I a, got it. Don't, don't it say is. anything. I got it. Uh, I'll forget. <laughs> um, it's 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 the most exciting. Uh, one of the most exciting things about the the indie being an indie artist nowadays with all these tools is that you can do something like that, create a print, declare it a price, and and that's it. Or you could come up with some other weird idea. You could come up with a weird marketing idea that's never been done before. You come up with a weird kind of painting idea that's never been done. It's like the field is completely open and it really kind of brings your imagination into the equation as far as marketing and selling and coming up with ideas because there are so many different options now. You could do, you know, there's like, I'm sure there's an amazing Patreon that has never been, hasn't been created yet because someone hasn't done it. Someone hasn't thought of it yet, but it's totally different than the way we are doing our Patreons. You know what I mean?
2: I love to look at industries outside the ones that we're in. Cause you, you look at like street art, mm-hmm. right? And you see these guys and they're like, Oh, well I do this thing. Like, I don't know. I'm probably, I don't know who this is. Some guy was doing like balloon animals. Right. And he's right. like, I do balloon animals. That's my thing. <laughs> and then he builds like a fucking 30 foot balloon animal, but he doesn't even build it because he's got like a studio. He's got like interns build a 30 foot balloon animal for him. It's like, it's a million dollars. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You know, it's just like, there's that, that the whole world, that community of street artists, people are able to declare these things that are far beyond what I think dark artists or fantasy artists have Mm -hmm. never been able to get away with. There's just this, this dedication to like declaring their own value where, and it's built as a community. So there's, people have just gotten used to if a street artist gets a big name, like they are like, Oh, this vinyl toys, you know, $10,000. Right. Like, and just fuck you. That's how much it's worth. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm like slow clapping whenever I see it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> like it's some, some people get frustrated by the fine art world or when someone just like they, the artist doesn't even make it and they like get credit for it and they get a huge price on it. I'm like, wouldn't you want that? Like, why would you snipe at somebody for, for doing a really good job with business
1: and marketing? Right. Like yeah. you just You're, like to
2: succeed that way too. Like,
1: yeah, uh, uh, let me give you the counterpoint to that because I'm kind of one of those people that gets annoyed <laughs> to a point. And I always say this, that my I always give this caveat is that my issue isn't with people putting a pair of dirty underwear on the corner and saying it's a an art piece and it's worth a million bucks. I have no problem with that. And I do, I think it's legit. I think it is a form of art. It's one of the many different forms of expression, right? Um, it's all about context is, is that's it. But, um, my issue is that the blue chip world is so small and insular and they won't let anybody in. And it's more about the, the, the very few handful of people that have billions of dollars to spend on art and the, um, art sellers and dealers are, picking people within that weird scene and choosing them to be worth millions of dollars. I mean, that's kind of how people, how these guys get
2: there. I I hate gatekeepers. Like, I don't like it. Yeah, I I don't like having art students try to appeal to art directors at fantasy card games. And I don't like the idea that there's like critics or gallery owners that like gatekeep who can be making a million dollars in the blue chip art world. But like, um, as long as, as long as it's, as long as it's a direct relationship between the creator and the audience, right. I'm right. pretty cool. Yeah. 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 But
1: exactly. my, 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 my point that the other part of my point I was going to say is that also um, it's, it's held up by this small community in the blue chip world, this, you know, the underwear on the floor, the shit in the box or whatever it is, is held up as the highest form of art right now, the most valuable, the best, it's the most forward anybody thinking. Anybody
0: that believes that is fraudulent well, to begin with. Yeah, who I know, but yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You could say, who cares what you, fuck you think? But these are, that's why they're paying millions of dollars for it because this small group is all agreed. You don't want those people let to me, buy your art. Let me finish. <laughs> yeah, if they're paying me a million dollars, I would be kind of happy with that. But I know what you're saying. But it's it's unfair that these this small group of, of uh, you know, this elite community gets to dictate what's valuable and what's not. And we're all considered not valuable because we're doing representational work, you know? Yeah, if and so it keeps like, us from making big money is all. And, you know, if, if
2: somebody's going to explain me why Damien Hirst is a good artist, like mm. I'm just going to be like, you can tell me why you like Damien Hurst right? <laughs> against me that Damien Hirst is a good artist. Exactly. Uh, and, and so like, I don't, I'm not going to question somebody if they want to spend a million dollars on a, on a pickled shark. Fine. <laughs> you're allowed to spend a million dollars on a pickled shark and you're allowed to like it. I'm not going right. to yuck your thumb. I'm not going to tell you who to love, but I, I am going to tell you, I don't want to own a pickled shark, not for a dollar, not for $10 million. <laughs> yes. I don't even, you, you can offer me a pickled shark for free and I'll tell you,
0: I don't want it in my house. I don't want to own it. <laughs>
1: That's, yeah, I, I'm with
0: you. Okay, but, but we're getting to But that but that get that begs the point though, because it's talking about different audiences here, you know, and different different right. lines. And the reality is what Pete's talking about is us creating that within our own world. Instead of worrying about whether this right, other yeah. world and the, you know, well, oh well, yeah. Lottie Who cares
2: about but that? Let's do our own thing and make our own right. value there. Yeah. Yeah, is exactly. Damian Hurst doing a good job marketing? Yes. Can I learn something from Damian Hurst marketing? Probably. Of course yeah. you so. You can. Like yeah. I do not yeah. want to ignore him. I don't want to ignore those people. I don't want to you know, shout against them because I feel like if they're having this amazing success, there's something there that I can benefit from and I should be respectful and I should be aware. Um, Part of the way I got good at Patreon, let's tie this back to something that's actionable here, is by looking at campaigns of people who are earning the most on Patreon. And Mm -hmm. what the number one earning illustrator on Patreon is Sakimi-chan. Sakimi-chan has been number one Forever, and she continues to be number one at an absurd level. It was like last time it, her number was public; it was sixty thousand dollars a month oh, making. That's amazing. Fan art porn, anime fan art porn, but oh <laughs> she, she also delivers either tutorial or finished illustration five times a week. Wow, and has been for years. I that's think amazing. she's got collaborators. I, I, there's like it, the whole system's a little opaque, but I looked at. What's the delivery schedule look like? What's the pricing look like? Right. How is this stuff communicated? How does the does the customer acquisition work? You know, understanding the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of Sakini Chan's artwork. I'm not a consumer of it, but there is so much there in the structure to learn from someone who is the number one performer in this space that if you're only ever going to look at it and go like, this is bullshit. This yeah. person shouldn't be number one. Yeah, this is porn, anime porn. Fuck thing. it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. If you just saying, oh, anime porn shouldn't be the number one thing on Patreon. Right. Fine. Do better. Right, exactly. You yeah, No like, shit. Exactly. Go ahead and beat her. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, open. yeah. It's are playing the same game we are. Yeah. It's, op- it's an open field and, and you can compete and it like, and it's not unfair.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: mean, that's everyone's playing by the same rules here.
1: That's the, you know, that's the good, the good side of capitalism. You know, it really is open and you can build a better mousetrap or whatever, you know, especially with the, all the tools we have now. Um, I wanted to, but we're getting near the end though. I want to talk to you a little bit before we go about your Angelarium whole concept, that whole yeah, series, because sure. it's such a cool idea. And that's what your focus on your Patreon is, right? Yeah. So, can you tell us what, how that came about, and just to explain to people what the idea is? Because I think it's a really pretty great idea.
2: Yeah. So, like back in college, like as I was talking about in my story up at the front of this thing, I I was just making art to post online, and somebody uh, somebody I was going to school with had, was doing this project where they were having all these characters based off of different angels, and they had this dictionary of angels, and I saw the the. This dictionary of angels, it was a thick book. There were thousands of these angel names. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so cool the idea there was like an angel of dust, an angel of memory, and an angel of pain. And they all had names. And there was like almost no lore. There wasn't like a mythology. It was just like names and titles. But they were so evocative that I wanted to explore it. And so I just started doing drawings and the drawings came out really easily. It was just exactly my flavor. And they, and then I started painting them and the paintings came out really easily. And so I worked up like a dozen of these things for like a, like a portfolio project in in college. And I had no, I, I didn't realize that like, that's how your big Epic project comes, happens. It's just like you do a thing and it turns out to be way easier than everything else you tried to do. Cause you're just, it's your wavelength. And for me, This was my wavelength because it was, um, I like using, I like fantasy art for its ability to create visual metaphor Right, you can embody a, like a memory or an experience or a mood through using symbolism. And so I was just thinking about what is the same, since there's no, since there's this blank slate, you know, what associations do I have with the rain? How do I personify the rain? Like what shapes does that take on? And how do I communicate, like my memories and my experience through design? And that's that's the pro- that's like the creative process I enjoy most. Mm-hmm. So, Angelarium is just this—it's uh, uh, this platform for me to keep doing that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Where as long as there are concepts out there, I can go and look up what angel represents that concept, and then I can find a way to personify that and speak to. Genuine experiences and and um, and keep the work really honest and uh, and and have there to be real content behind the work and and also never run out of ideas because right. there's always something else that I could illustrate and then I can also go back and and refresh and rehash designs I've made in the past so I've done that too like being able to like you know have these ideas live with me and then do multiple pieces of the same figures Yeah, and, absolutely. and they'll evolve over time as you know, my, my interpretations invo- evolve and, and it's, uh, it's developed a kind of its own mythology over time too, just because there's so little lore out there for, um, angels, but people are really hungry for it.
1: Oh yeah. yeah.
2: Everyone yeah. understands this idea of personifying ideas. Yeah. Uh, and in it, you know, you see it in all the, <clears throat> all the different, multi-deity religions but with angels like that impulse has been suppressed for so long that um you know you end up with this very very fresh territory where you get to put your own spin on it without somebody telling you that's not how it's supposed to be right right and um i've got a lot of people who respond to the series by saying like oh yeah this is what angels are supposed to look like
1: right yeah yeah that's what's
2: frustrated by it
1: yeah that's what's so cool about it is they're you know they're not like you know, in a white robe and wings and, and blonde hair. It's like, you know, you're, they're not your typical angels. They're kind of like creatures, you know? Yeah. And it's really cool. It's like taking kind of taking, you know, I don't want to say realistic, but it is kind of taking a more realistic, like if, what would angels really look like, you know, if, if they were these beings. And, and that's, to me, that's, what's so interesting about it. I mean, my next door neighbor collects angels, it's a really, it's a yeah. really kind of commercial concept as well, as well as being like a really good idea and very open for interpretation. It, there is like a whole tons of people, just regular people that aren't into fantasy art would be into angels. You know what I mean? So it's oh yeah, it, it hits it on that level too. I really, I mean, I really came out of gaming, and I don't really want to pigeonhole myself in the gaming industry
2: because it's like I don't want to have to be beholden to some like lore and, and world building. I really want it right. to be about. The reason why people get into angels is because everybody personifies concepts. I mean, I see it in your work as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's the the way monster design works for everybody is um, is they try to take these you know thoughts and experiences and moods and give them a face. And right. it's like in our culture, like we to say that's an angel of something is so easy and requires so little explanation Right. that I have this like great head start when all I need to do is put the names of the pieces on the work and people don't have to ask me about it.
1: Right. Like sometimes people ask like,
2: Oh, is this from something? And I just get to say, Oh no, it's its own thing. And there's, there's, I don't have to go into a pitch about what is the state of the world and what, you know, you have to read these books to catch up on where the lore is. It's just, you know, people get to have a relationship with the work right there when they see it without having to be, have it explained to them. Yeah.
1: So I yeah. Love that. Yeah. That's a great point. I never, I never thought of it, but it's so true. But those there, there may, you know, you guys got to check out Pete's work cause it's really incredible. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll do, we'll have links to everything but do you want what, to, what's your Patreon? The, and your the,
2: the web, the main website is angelarium.net. Uh, and there's a banner at the top that links to the Patreon. If you want to like keep up to date with the, all the latest stuff and see behind the scenes and, you know, read what I'm writing about the pieces that I'm working on. I, we've got a great community on our discord. There's like, if it's a thing that you just, are constantly interested in and want to participate in that that's what the Patreon is there for. Mm. And then it also acts as like a pre-sale platform for anybody who wants to like collect prints. Cause I, I tend to work in series. And so, you know, if people want to collect a whole series, you just sign up and get them each month and um, you know, I mail them to people and they just get billed automatically.
1: It's nice. Cool. And how about your uh, podcast? You want to promote that?
2: Yeah. Podcast is one fantastic week. Ah, uh, you can find more information at onefantasticweek.com. We broadcast live on YouTube every single Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Central, and then we are doing a workshop every November. And uh, the the ne- the this year's workshop, the tickets are on sale. They're about half sold out, and uh, we usually sell out all the seats every year. And um, so, yeah, if you're interested in getting in a room full of a bunch of other indie artists to talk about business and learn about different things you can build onto your own business or jump into it for the first time. Uh, should seriously think about, um, and you guys, if you guys want to come too,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to come. Yeah, no, I would love to, I would love to go to that. And no, um, I recommend yeah. it for everybody because you know, this guy knows his shit. He knows what he's talking um, about.
2: I try to get people in the room who know more about this than I do. Like I've got, we've got a lot of instructors with longer careers than, than me yeah. or my uh, collaborator Sam and, and so we bring our own flavor to the table and then we bring more people in who know more than we do about a lot of other stuff. So there's a lot it's a lot of knowledge in the room and it's a really small like teacher to student ratio. We have like 10 instructors and a maximum of like 42 seats. Right. So we get great. a lot of one-on-one time with some really smart people. And the other attendees that show up to this thing also all have their own hustles going on. And
1: That's it's cool, just a man. great
2: opportunity to meet up with a community of people who are all getting this and all striving for their own successes. It's a, it's a great time to like reflect and and figure out, you know, priorities for the year and and, and how to push.
1: That's great. I gotta, I gotta make one little last comment. Sam, your partner on the podcast has the greatest. The one thing I, one thing I'm very jealous about your podcast is you have such a great, lead in with Sam does his little spiel at the beginning and he sounds like a radio guy. It's so funny. (laughs) It's pretty it's pretty great. So I just wanted to give uh, props to Sam for having that amazing radio voice.
2: I got so lucky picking Sam as my co-host. I was like thinking like, oh I want to do a show. You know, and I was I was thinking through the people I might I had available and who I might want to do with and then Sam turned out to be this like amazing, amazing collaborator because He's great on the mic. Mm-hmm. He's a yeah. great conversationalist, but he also has this like sweet, nice guy attitude that contrasts with my more assertive, <laughs> vinegary personality. <laughs> and so we have a sweet and sour thing going on. Yeah, um, that's that that gives the show a dynamic, which yeah. I like. Um, that was part of the reason I wanted to work with him. I was like, I got to find someone who's got a little sweetness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, It's a great, it's a great podcast. It's definitely, it's probably my favorite art podcast. Um, and it's, it is kind of similar to what we're doing with the dark art society. It's, you know, it's funny. It's, it's interesting. It's like, I don't, you guys are definitely more fantasy illustrator and we're kind of more like loosey goosey hippies sort of <laughs> in the dark art society <laughs> you know it's just there's this like a feel a feel about it you know and it's and it's like but the yeah. same but but our, our our goals are the same and what we talk about is really similar as well you know we're interviewing artists and we're just trying to share knowledge so it's like our hearts are in the same place and it's just you know more reflective i think of who we are as people maybe but but i i, I see you guys as like a you know like a a similar podcast to what we're doing, very similar, like the most similar oh, yeah. one I've ever seen or listened to. I don't think there's any other podcasts doing that, but I mean, there might be other art podcasts that are business oriented and stuff, but I don't know. I-, I haven't heard them.
2: I haven't heard them either. Um, I found one, like I found one that there's a there's a company called Art Storefronts.
1: Oh yeah, yeah I've so heard that like, one. I've heard that. And one.
2: then they, there's a guy who ended up making a podcast to sort of promote art storefronts, and his advice was all really good. So I listened to right. their episodes. I yeah. thought it was good, but it also is just like an advertisement for this platform.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um,
2: and I think that it it would be nice to get a little more diversity in there. Yeah, um, yeah. but they're short. too. They're like the, ten
1: minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast.
2: Yeah. Um, I there was this there was this. I don't know. I've seen a couple of them, but like I've been going at, at, I've been podcasting on and off for like seven years. Oh, wow. So I had another podcast before one fantastic week called, um, WIP work in progress. Mm. And that was, um, and that ran for like a couple of years and then there was a break and then I did one fantastic week. And so like, I have watched podcasts start and, end over and over again <laughs> over the course of my <laughs> podcast runs. So like, I, I just, I've just sat there and just kept podcasting and i never got good at it and it's fine (laughs) it's done fine and we've got a patreon for the podcast yeah right like pay us to keep podcasting yeah and we don't even offer any rewards they're just like pay us and we'll keep podcasting and the trick is that we would have kept podcasting even if they didn't pay us
1: right (laughs) Um, but you're giving them that opportunity to support i mean i'm happy to support stuff that i i use you know
2: Right, absolutely.
1: I, I'm I'm backing like 50 Patreon campaigns. I know like, I'm, I'm backing it, like 70 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody I know on there, uh, I give a buck to at least. You know, it's like yeah, it's that easy. I
2: I mean, I put it to this this way to a lot of people. I'm like, if if you if like 10 uh, percent of my Instagram audience right. paid a dollar right, I would be making. $11,700 of painting on Patreon. Right. Exactly. And it's like, I see people with a million followers yeah, and I they know. don't monetize it all. I know and it's like, insane. It's 1% of those million <laughs> people. And that's a reasonable number. Yeah. you yeah, to well, pay a dollar. So reasonable. Yeah. Actually. Um, I mean, the conversion rate I've seen is closer to like, to like, sometimes it can be like about a 10th of a percent. Mm. But it's like, if, but if it's a tenth of a percent at an average of five bucks, you know, if you have a million right. people following you, you're still talking like, what does that come out to? Is is it fifty thousand or five hundred thousand a year off of just? Well, it's, it's, either it's, one it's, would like, be fine with me. But it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like, it, it, like and it, for smaller creators, like the thing about like um, crowdfunding is that with smaller creators, if you have an audience of only a few thousand people, the percentage, the conversion rate is way higher. Right. So, like, it's possible to get to the point of where you're earning better than you would at like a uh, you know delivering pizzas or some other um, entry level job, doing your creative thing if you just allow people to support it and you make them aware that there's that opportunity and you are good and genuine with your audience. Like yeah, absolutely. a lot more That's people it. have this opportunity to do it than, than who do it. And if there was more people doing it and it was more part of our culture, that conversion rate would go up. Like right. the ability to make a billion dollars off of a painting would be easier if right. everyone were just getting on board with this as being like their standard thing. Right. Um, right.
1: Totally. Yeah. And the more people that, you know, the more people that go this route and get onto Patreon, it's going to be better for all of us because, you know, the trick, the, the, I'll, I'll say this and then we'll wrap it up because it's getting late. But the tricky uh, thing about Patreon is that it's sort of new, so it's hard to get people over that have never been on it before. Like I was, it took me a year before I joined, you know, it, like I, I knew about it a year before I started it. And then um, at your advice, I, I joined it and started following a few um, Patreon accounts before I took the plunge, but it took me a while to get used to the idea of paying for content like that. And now I'm like the big advocate for it because you know, I have seen the light. And so, but the more people that, that, uh, more artists being successful on Patreon, it's going to bring more people to Patreon. And the more people that are already on Patreon are going to be more willing to support our things. So it's kind of like I think it wins nope. a win-win thing for everybody, you know. It
2: feels like a it feels like a growing wave, yeah, between like Kickstarter and Patreon. Like, yep. I think as the the creative industries really find their place and they find their way of interacting with this stuff, it's gonna destroy the um, the recording industry. It's mm-hmm. going to destroy like the it's gonna interrupt the film industry. Like, there's a lot of creative industries that are going to have to reconfigure themselves around the creators instead of around the gatekeepers. Thank
1: God, what an amazing thing that is too. Oh my God. It's it's a miracle. It's going to
2: turn upside down as a result of something like Patreon because record labels are going to get gutted in favor of people paying the musicians that they love. Right. And so the people who make the music that people like are going to succeed and the giant record labels that have been holding all the money are going to crumble and it's going to be, awesome yeah <laughs> and the equivalence of that across every creative industry they're going to ripple out if this catches on and it is catching, it is catching
1: on i'm saying it doesn't that.
2: need to be patreon but it it
0: does need to happen right and it's
2: it really feels like it's happening it's exciting
0: yeah i'm with is. you man i'm with you i bet what is this i'm 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 playing with my ninth kickstarter right now so <laughs> yeah it's i i'm definitely excited for other people to get on board and push this thing to the next level speaking of patreon chat we need to wrap this up and name off our uh, new patrons because oh, yeah, that's it. how we we normally are trying to start and we didn't start that way this time because oh, I, told I forgot my synesthesia my, my bunny story we can yeah well I was going to I was going to cue you for your synesthesia word. So okay. I want to mention Dan Harding and Daniel Kosra for joining the Dark Art Society as patrons. Thank you. Thank Check, you. Please your your uh, your word of the week.
1: Okay. I got Pete. I got synesthesia with words have flavors like Pete. The, the usually it's names or words like they automatically mm-hmm. have flavors for me. It's a weird thing. I didn't you know, I didn't realize till I was like 35 that I had it, but i have been doing it all my life. Like Pete for example, tastes like, chew, like chewed up meat, like meat, like s- steak when you've chewed it up and it's like kind of doesn't have all the flavor in it, but it's chewed in your mouth. That's what Pete tastes like to me. So anyway, I, <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> I can't help it. Gross, it's, you know, you know, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's certain names that taste like he likes you, even though you're, you taste yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Cause I'm a vegetarian, but uh, you know, there's some names that people ask me what their name tastes like, and I don't want to tell them because there's some like that smell like dog Holy breath, Christ. and you know, it's, it's <laughs> not always pleasant. Okay. So, anyway, um, let's do obligation because that's a very strong synesthesia word for me. All right. Obligation tastes like baloney.
0: Huh? Obligation
1: baloney. Mm-hmm. So, one so day that's a- one day I'm going to start a Chet Czar, um synesthesia dictionary, and then you can go and take stories, and then switch out the words, and you'll have like this amazing um, uh, surrealist poetry.
0: Well, that way too, we can hold you accountable because then we can go back and say, does it still, does, you can does Albuquerque come back still to me. taste that's, like
1: striped cookies? Like, yeah. will
0: Albuquerque always taste like striped cookies? Of course it will. Yeah. That's why Mike will always call it Albuquerque now. That's, <laughs>
1: that's it. That, that, that's, so, that's, how, that's how you prove that it's real and that I'm not just making it up is you can ask me in 10 years and it's going to still t- taste the same. I know. That's why
0: we need the dictionary though so we can right, you know, carry right. this on. Anyway, so, all right. Well, thank, thank you so much yeah. for listening to our Thanks, wonderful Pete, episode. Thank here. you. Pete, that, it's great having you on. Yeah, yeah, and
2: thank you for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I love talking business yeah. and getting excited about art with people. It's my second job besides making art. Yeah. And, uh,
1: uh, I, I love it. I want to have you on again for sure because I, I, I know, you know, I could have talked to you for three hours. I know. So. I I did practically that one day when you were telling me about Patreon. If, but I,
0: didn't, if I didn't have to smoke a cigarette, I'd be all about it too. <laughs>
1: but I would I'm smoking uh, my <laughs> smoke in my house. So I definitely I'm going outside would, for that. Would love to have you back on if you're if you're up for it sometime, because um, you're uh, great to talk to and I love your work and love what you're doing in the art community. Well, so, likewise, yeah. I mean,
2: we I mean, we don't even need to do it on a podcast. We can just do it whenever if you feel like it.
1: That's true. Yeah. Cool. Well. <laughs> Thanks. How are the oh, internet? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, and um, thank you everybody for listening, and thank you, Mike, for uh, doing this with me. And, and I think that's it, right?
0: Well, I would just like to uh, remind people that if they want to join the Dark Art Society, they can head over to patreon.com forward slash dark art society. And for $1 and more, we now have some new options. Remember, Chad, on our Patreon for $1 people and up. They now get to listen to the podcast a day early before the rest of the listening public. And so that's pretty special. And then also now we have Discord from $3 and up. So if you guys want to join the Discord Society that we're creating for the Dark Art Society, please join us. Head on over to patreon.com forward. Slash Dark Society. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you guys next week.
1: All right. See you. See you, Pete. See you, Mike. Bye Bye bye.